the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program. We kick off a new week together. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand Up for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, whatever is on your heart. We need only to have you call us. You can dial 210-340-9585. That's 340 340- 9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll free at 877-630-KSLR. Numerically, it's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. If you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the call now banner at the top of the screen and you will be connected directly to our studio producer. Hey, we had a great day here yesterday. We had so many people here and lots of people came forward. We're talking about gifts of the Spirit, people wanting gifts of the Spirit. Uh, A couple of people came to get saved. Uh, It's just a a really, really great day. And I I hope and pray that you had a wonderful day at church as well. Um, It's good to see people excited again about being in fellowship and being around the family of God. Hey, before we get into some questions tonight, uh, our Sweet Summer Devotion series continues with the ladies. Uh, Tricia Lucas will be sharing her heart uh, tonight at 7 o'clock. It can be live-streamed at calvarysa.com. But Paula will be mad at me if I don't say it's better to be here, ladies, because the Q&A, the, the ministry that occurs after she's done, uh, is always so intimate and so valuable. So try to get here at 7 o'clock. Uh, we have big crowd here for the ladies, but but we've got room. So if um, uh, if you'd like to join us, please do that. If not, you can watch it live stream. Uh, you can also include your whole family because we also have um, men's Bible study. Pastor Ken will be teaching that. And then our youth pastors will be teaching the junior high and high school age youth. And we do have child care available uh, for those of you with kids as well. Uh, we don't broadcast the Q&A. And uh, it, we want it to be private. We want it to be a safe space. And it is always really, really powerful. So that's all tonight here at 7 o'clock at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Well, let me get to some questions, and then we'll await your phone calls. My first question is actually not one that's been called in or emailed. It was one that was asked and discussed at our foundation class uh, yesterday after church. We have uh, 5 o'clock uh, foundations class uh, on Sundays. It's for either new believers or people just want to strengthen their foundation, Lord. Uh, Louis Henner teaches it, and it's always a great class. But they had a question yesterday that they, well, well, we need to ask the radio show. And the question was, who did Adam see in the Garden of Eden? Because the Bible says that no man has seen God, and obviously we can't see God because we would die. 
um, Moses asked God, show me your glory. And God sort of chuckled at him and said, no, you can see my glory and live because, of course, we're, we're living in a fallen world. So who did Adam see when he walked in the cool of the garden with God? Well, the answer is he saw God, but he didn't see God in a form that we would expect. You know, uh, throughout the Old Testament, we see pre-incarnate appearances of Jesus Christ, uh, Christophanies or Theophanies, whichever word you prefer. It's always Jesus uh, in visions and dreams. Um, uh, Isaiah um, saw Jesus in Isaiah chapter six. Woe is me, for I'm a man of unclean lips. I have seen the Lord, and now I'm going to die. Samson's parents, uh, especially uh, his father, thought that they were going to die after they'd seen him. But Isaiah um, saw Jesus, according to John chapter twelve, verse twenty-three. So whenever anybody sees God, the only way we can see God, who lives in unapproachable light, Paul writes. The only way we can approach that unapproachable light is is in and through the person of Jesus Christ. So no man has seen God. Does that mean Adam didn't see God? And the answer is Adam would have seen God in a completely different form. What Adam would have seen is the Shekinah glory of God. Now, Adam himself and Eve, by the way, before the fall, would have been covered in the glory of God. That's the reason that after the fall, uh, Adam noticed he was naked and he was ashamed. He was he was embarrassed. Um, he wouldn't have known he was naked before because in his unfallen state, he and Eve were also covered in the glory of God. So they could see. But remember, God the Father is not a person. Jesus is a person. The Holy Spirit's a person. Um, but the Holy Spirit and the Father, who's also one of the three persons of the triune God, they're not persons in a physical form. So even when the Bible talks about, uh, speaking of God, the breath of his nostrils, the Father doesn't have nostrils. He's not a, a person. Jesus said the Father is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And so what Adam would have seen is God in his glory, the Shekinah glory of God. And uh, I'm sure Adam and, and Eve and God spoke. That voice would have come out of the glory. Similar to, but but a little bit different from, of course, uh, Moses hearing the voice of God out of the, the, the burning bush. But God had a relationship because there was nothing to separate Adam and Eve from that relationship until sin entered the world. So that's very important. So he, he saw God, the Father, but because he also was covered in God's glory, he wouldn't have died. And the no man has seen God and lived is after the fact, after Adam and Eve sinned, that is true. Adam is our federal head or the representative of all mankind. And so that's what Adam would have seen. Wouldn't it have been great? Wouldn't it have been great? I always think about how many stories Adam would have said, uh, would have shared with his sons Cain and Abel. wonder how many times Adam would have brought his boys. I, I personally believe he would have done yearly. It would have been sort of like a, a an offering when, when adult Jewish males were required to be in Jerusalem for some of the feasts. I think yearly he would have brought Cain and Abel to the edge of the garden or as close as he could get to the tree of life. We know that it was being guarded by a, uh, a cherub with a flaming sword. I think he would have brought him over there to tell him the story of, of, of paradise and of sin and how sin ruined it. And then redemption, how God is overlooking their sins by the, the blood of animal sacrifices, pointing to, and Adam wouldn't have known this at that point, pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ who's going to cover our sins with his blood. So, Foundations class folks, I hope that answers your question. That's a great conversation to have. And the conversation came about because they were discussing the nature of God. So, really, really good class. Um, it's 5 o'clock here on Sunday evenings, and anybody who wants to come around and get a little bit of, of uh, shoring up in their foundation... Uh, it's it's great. It's a series of classes, uh, and because it's they're relatively small classes, um, there's there's uh, some maneuver room, and uh, it can be more of a discussion than a lecture. And it's really been a fruitful time for us. I'm so grateful 
uh, for Louis uh, to step forward and teach it. And uh, he does a wonderful, wonderful job. Good question, guys. Thank you. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is uh, a call. we got Cindy on line one from San Antonio. Cindy, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. How are you today? I'm doing really, really well. How about you? Oh, wonderful. Yesterday was so inspiring. I, I just <laughs> left there so filled with, with the Spirit. You know, it's funny you're starting the show on the Garden of Eden because I actually had been thinking about something all day since my morning coffee, and I'm wondering about the two trees, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and I was thinking about their appearance, and it it seems that the the tree of knowledge of good and evil was kind of flashy, and maybe it had really nice... Uh, flowers and was real fragrant and had juicy fruit and everything on it. I'm wondering (laughs) if the tree of life was just more unassuming and more plain because Eve didn't really pay attention to the tree of life. She was more interested in, in the other one, which seemed to be more attractive. And then it got me to thinking about Jesus. When Jesus came to earth, he didn't come to earth looking like James Bond or anything. He it was best, you know, that he was very um very unass- you know, very un- unassuming, very plain, not really noticeable. And so I kind of wondered if there was a correlation between the true that between the two that the tree of life would have, you know, just not been, you know, something real, you know eye-catching, because he wasn't really eye-catching when he came in, and he kind of represented yeah. the tree of, of life. So that's what I that's what I was into today, and I'll just let you comment. <laughs> and again, I really loved yesterday. It, it was so inspiring. Oh. Thank I'll get you, off Cindy. I'm, I'm really grateful. And Cindy, we got to find out what kind of coffee you're drinking and get it out to some of the people, because the things that you think about when you're drinking coffee... Are pretty amazing. Hey, a couple of things about about that. I think the tree of life was also magnificent and beautiful. Uh, everything was in in the pre fallen world, and the tree of life uh, had to be guarded. I mean, it was attractive. It would have been had all of the traits of the the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I think what attracted her to it. Of course, we know that Satan was was the one who was sort of recruiting her. Uh, seducing her to get to that place, um, but but I think I think just the allure of the forbidden fruit. Um, God said you could have every tree. Well, then why didn't He say I could have this tree? I want this tree, and and the truth is we still want the forbidden fruit. Uh, I, I tell a story about a neighbor uh, that I grew up with when I was a little boy, and he had the nicest lawn. It was a dichondra lawn, and and um, uh, he lived on a corner. And he always had a sign that said, do not walk on the grass. And I tell you, I couldn't get past that, that house without walking across his grass. It's just something when we are told that we can't have something, our flesh, our sin nature wants that very thing. And that's what Satan did. Satan wanted to be God. He didn't want to worship God anymore. He himself wanted to be worshipped. And he simply passed that along to to Eve. And, of course, she was seduced and fell. Uh, I, I don't think the analogy of the uh, tree of life uh, being ordinary and Jesus is appropriate. I tell you what I do think is appropriate with Jesus. And, and Isaiah says very clearly that there was nothing about him that attracted us to him. In other words, Jesus didn't walk down the street with a glow. He wasn't like movie star handsome or anything. He wasn't buff and built. Jesus was an ordinary Jew. If you think about that at the time, and I always think about these things. I've done some research on this, Cindy. And, and I think about um, Jesus, the average Jewish male in the day and the time that Jesus lived in and around Jerusalem was probably about five foot eight, maybe 150 pounds. Jesus looked like everybody else. I mean, if you go to the Middle East now, everybody looks the same. And, 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 and Jesus would have looked like that. I think the better example is the, the, the tabernacle in the wilderness that was constructed. It was magnificent on the inside absolutely stunning but on the outside it was just a tent 
plain and ordinary. And the idea is that people would look at that and there would be no attraction. Thieves wouldn't be uh, concerned with it. They wouldn't think there was anything of value in it. The outside was so ordinary. And on the inside, it was heaven. I mean, we know it was the exact model of heaven given to Moses and then to Bezalel, the, the, the constructor of the, uh, of the uh, tabernacle. Um, but on the inside, it was a treasure. And Jesus was that way. On the outside, ordinary. But on the inside, absolute holiness, absolute purity. And I think, Cindy, that's a better correlation uh, for Jesus. I, 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 I'm sure that the tree of life uh, was magnificent. Final thought on this. Um, Eve's seduction by Satan in falling into the sin of eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is an important lesson for us. I'm I'm confident, 100% confident, that as Cindy indicated, the fragrance that came from that, that, that tree was magnificent. Every time there would be any kind of a breeze, that, that heavenly smell of that fruit um the, the 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 fruit visually would be stunning absolutely stunning and and i've always thought and this is just the way my mind works i've always thought that that eve would go out of her way to walk by that tree and with every trip past that tree she'd get a little bit closer a little bit closer and then she'd smell that smell and i can always see her touching that piece of fruit and smelling it i never eat anything without smelling it first i'm sure eve was smelling it and right then satan was there and the serpent and and said hey you can be like god knowing both good and evil if you eat from this and it was just too much from her uh, for her and i think the point for all of us the lesson to take from it is that we've got to exercise self-control we got to stay away from those things that we know are that are forbidden for us and we, we've simply got to be on guard because there's always going to be a serpent. When you're in a place that you ought not to be, you can bet every Christian can absolutely guarantee, be guaranteed that Satan is going to be there. So, Cindy, great question. And I just love thinking about stuff like that. So thank you very, very much. Here is a question that was sent in by Roy. Uh, Pastor Ron, if a gay couple came to you for counseling in their relationship, would you help them? Um, Roy, um, the answer is I, I would I would speak with them. But what I would tell them is that the relationship is in opposition to God. And giving into this relationship would um, result in them spending an eternity in hell. Um, again, I, I love to talk to people. I like the fact that sinners will come in. Uh, in a lot of our counseling sessions, uh, people are dealing with open sin. It doesn't matter whether it's homosexual or heterosexual sin or other issues in their lives, whether it's it's uh, drugs or alcohol or anger, whatever it is. Um, we like to talk to those people because we want to share Jesus with them. But if a gay couple came to me and said, we are committed to this relationship, we don't think there's anything wrong with it, but we would like some counseling so the relationship would, would, would succeed, I'd tell them that it'll never succeed because they're fighting God. It's that simple. So uh, I would never do anything to affirm their relationship. Uh, I wouldn't even give them a hint that that relationship was okay with God. Uh, my point would be, um, in that counseling session, would be to introduce them to Jesus Christ. So, Roy, I hope that's clear. It's not that I don't want to help people. I want to help everybody, but really not helping anybody if, in fact, um, the people that we're saying we're helping end up in heaven, or end up in hell, rather, than in, instead of heaven. It's one of the things, this, this woke world that we live in and, and even for the progressive Christians who are saying, oh, no, it's okay. God, God is love. If you love somebody, it doesn't matter who they are. Uh, I can tell you the truth. They don't love them because they're not telling them the truth in love. And they don't love them. They don't care that they're going to spend eternity in hell. And that's not love. So, um, Roy, I hope that answers your question. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is an anonymous question. 
says, my neighbor has been abused repeatedly by men in her family. She's angry at God and refuses to believe in a God who would let that happen to her. So there's no question there, but the comment, I'm sure, uh, uh, this, this caller is, or this listener is uh, looking for some direction. You know, the one thing that I always tell people who have, have been been just really, really in, in evil situations. And this happens a lot. We've got a, a man in our church, Clint, who has a ministry to girls who have lived this kind of lifestyle their whole lives. And now as teenagers, uh, and some of them very, very young, young, much younger than teenagers when all this started, of course, um, you see the damage it's done. And Clint's heart for these girls is absolutely amazing. And the one message that we have for him is, God didn't do that to you. God didn't do that to you. God loves you and he has a plan for your life and he's rescued you. And all you have to do is come to him and and he will be a father that you can love and a father that you can trust. Uh, God understands um, people's anger and their hurt. Um, when your neighbor uh, makes a statement, I'm angry at God, God doesn't say, well, forget you then. He he understands her pain. And And this is a God who who offered his own son up to the anger of his enemies. So God understands that kind of pain. And all you can do with your neighbor is just let her know that that God cried. When she was in that situation, God cried. But now she's in a position where the rest of her life doesn't have to be dominated by what happened to her in the past. I mean, in cases like this, trusting men is impossible. A lot of the the young girls in in uh, in Clint's group, um, you know, that they've turned to to uh, to homosexuality because it's easier for them to trust women than it is for them to trust men. So here's what you do: you simply let her know that God's heart was broken, that He loves her so much, in fact, that He sent you to be her neighbor. And any time and every time she's willing and able to talk about this, that you will be available for her. So love her, pray for her, and keep keep trying to persuade her about the goodness of God. Ask her questions like, well, let me ask you, what do you really know about God other than this impression you had that God allowed these evil men to do these terrible things to you? Tell me what you know about God. Do you know that he sent his son to die for your sins? Do you know that you're the pearl of great price? Matthew chapter 13. Share with her the Song of Solomon. And that's going to give you just 10 minutes. That's all it's going to take to read all the, the sections there that are head, headed. There's the, these headings that say lover. That's Jesus speaking to her. How oh, beautiful you are, my darling. There's no flaw in you. It's Jesus saying, you're perfect for me. And Jesus will reaffirm his love for her. And expect the Spirit to move on her heart and just be there for her. But keep praying for her. Paul and I have a saying at our house, people are the way they are for a reason. And your neighbor is angry and your neighbor is a victim. And all the things that have happened to her are not her fault. So let her know that there's an answer and a hope. And keep praying. Thank you for that question very, very much. Pamela says, Do you think that Christians in a church should know who is or is not vaccinated so they can avoid them? With church, with churches coming back, I'm still afraid. Pamela, I, I don't like these questions, but typically uh, typically, I, just, I, I want this to be about Jesus. But I'm glad you asked this question. Um, let me say very clear. We have a doctor's office here. Uh, I think everybody, most people listening to this know this. We have a free family practice doctor's office. Uh, two best doctors and uh, physicians assistants and pediatricians and nurses. Uh, loving people. They all love Jesus. They're all from this church. It is absolutely free. Absolutely free. No insurance, no anything. And... Um, um, we want you to know that they can't even share your medical information with me. Um, 
whether or not somebody has decided to be vaccinated or not is between them and God. It's No one has the right to ask that question. And so um, what you need to do is deal with your fear. This is between you and the Lord. It's, it's not about anybody else. So here's what you say. And Pamela, it's fine to admit that you're afraid. It's, 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 that's just being honest. But then Jesus will tell you, as he said so many times to his disciples over and over and over in our word, he says, do not be afraid. You can trust him. And you've got to get to the point where you realize that church is more important than you can imagine so important that you've got to overcome your fear. Jesus, I'm going to trust you. My life is in your hands. That doesn't mean you won't get infected. But the truth is the world, life has to go on. So Pamela, please, 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 let God put his arms around you and deal with your fear. Being in fellowship, we have learned in these last 16 months, being in fellowship is more important, it is more of a treasure than we ever realized before. And you should see the joy in people's faces and hearts when they're back here at church. So, Pamela, I hope that answers your question. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in the Monday edition of the program, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. We'll be back in two minutes. Back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the program, 340-9585 for our final 30 minutes of the day. Here's a question that just came in from our mobile app from Nacho. He says, yesterday in your message you were talking about speaking in tongues. You refer to it as a prayer language. We know that Satan cannot read our thoughts, but can he understand what we are saying when we pray in our prayer language? Now, that is a question, Nacho, I've never had before. And after more than nine years of doing this program and all of the questions that people come asking me, that's a rare thing. Um, It is a prayer language. I said in the message yesterday, uh, when we pray in tongues... Uh, a gift of the Holy Spirit. It's a gift, by the way, um, for the audience every Christian ought to ask for. Paul said, I would that you all spoke in tongues more than I do. It's a wonderful gift. It's the least of all the gifts because it's vertical. It's just you and God. But it edifies your relationship with God and it, 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 it strengthens your prayer relationship with God. So um, because it's typically not a known language, Can Satan understand what we're saying? I can only guess, Nacho, and my answer would be no. But here's the thing. Satan knows the Bible. And um, he knows that when we're praying in tongues, I'm not talking about the fake stuff that you see in churches all the time. I think he is behind that. In fact, the devil is behind it. I'm talking about when he sees you, you're taking a walk with the Lord, you're, you're, you're in your prayer closet, and you're praying in your prayer language. Believe me, Satan knows you're praying in the will of God. He may not know what you're talking about. Neither do you in most cases. But I can tell you this. He knows that you're praying in the will of God. He's going to do everything that he can to disrupt it. One of the things that I said yesterday for people that wanted to receive the gift of tongues by faith is that, that, that um, you know, you've got to take that step of faith. And the problem is the moment you start speaking in this language that you don't know anything about. It's it's awkward. It's uncomfortable, uh, especially at first. Um, but the, the devil's right there saying, oh, you're just making that up. That's not really of God at all. You're just, you're just making it up. And so he's messing with this. And the reason he messes with this is because he knows that that's a prayer in the will of God. He also knows that if we pray in the will of God, God hears our prayers. And according to Jesus, if God hears our prayers, we have what we ask for. So it's a very important question that you ask. Uh, He's going to try to cause 
interference. He's going to try to distract you. He's going to make you feel condemned. That's just his job. And as Paula always says, he's good at his job. So um, I can't read our minds. Now, he can plant thoughts in our minds, and he does. He can predict our behavior because he and his demons are watching and they're following us. They, they, they have a, the ability to remember the kind of choices that we make. And they're always there, but, but he cannot read our thoughts. So it's very important that we understand that. And yet still, this is a wonderful gift that comes from God. And it's a gift that everybody ought to use. Let me say what I said yesterday in this pro, in, in, in church, as we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 now. Let me say that the, the personal prayer language of tongues, the gift of tongues, has nothing whatsoever to do with Acts chapter 2 and the pouring out of the Holy Spirit when he made his grand entrance into this world. That was a different thing. That was a sign gift that will never be repeated. That is not an excuse for church to say, well, they all spoke in tongues, so we should all speak in tongues. That's what was happening in Corinth, and Paul is rebuking them for that. So it's completely different. It's between you and God, and we're told um, how it ought to be used in church in chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians, and we're told what the purpose of it is in, in 1 Corinthians 12. So it's a wonderful gift. All gifts from God are, and it is a gift that we Christians, all of us, ought to seek with all of our heart. Really good question. Here is an anonymous question. I am a man attracted to other men. I remain celibate because I know that to act would be sin, and I love Jesus. Will God change me so I'm attracted to women, and may one day I be married? Um... I don't know. Um, um, Let me tell you first, Anonymous, how pleased God is with you that you deny your flesh, you deny your attraction to other men for no other reason than you love Jesus. That you exercise self-control is like a trophy for him. He's so proud. He's so pleased. So thank you for your faithfulness to God. Um, Same-sex attraction is abnormal, um, but in and of itself is not sinful. We live in a fallen world, and in a fallen world we have all kinds of of sinful proclivities. And yours happens to be uh, same-sex attraction. But as long as you remain celibate, um, and by the way, single men who are heterosexual, uh, single women who are heterosexual, we're all to remain celibate. That's a gift that we ought to pray for if, in fact, we are single until God brings that man or that woman into your life. Now, to your question, I want to be really direct with this. Will God change you so I'm attracted to women? The answer is, I don't know. Perhaps, but more likely not. He changes some. Some, when they come out of sin and the darkness is is obliterated and the Holy Spirit comes in, well, sometimes those people uh, are, um, they find themselves with normal and healthy attractions to, to people of the opposite gender. Um, I, can, I can tell you uh, Rosario Butterfield, um, YouTube her, anonymous, uh, um, she lived a gay lifestyle, um, was gay for most of her life, um, had had several relationships that were long term, um, and and she got saved, and read what the Bible said, and she changed. She's married and has a family. Uh, there's another one that you can that you can uh, uh, search on YouTube. Jackie Hill Perry. Uh, she's a younger woman, a black woman, who is doing heroic work for the kingdom of God. I mean, literally, she's one of the people that we ought to be praying for. Um, she was, um, uh, the word in the black community for what she was, was a stud. I mean, she was the male partner in a, in a, in a gay relationship. Uh, she dressed tough, talked tough, acted very masculine. Um, and, and she just thought that's who she was. Um, she got saved. She repented of her homosexual activity. Like you, she refused to, to, to be any longer involved in it. 
And now she is married uh, to a Christian uh, rapper, a spoken word artist, who, uh, and, and they have, I think they just had their second child as a result of the relationship. And she's very active. Both her and her husband are very active in ministry. So um, the answer is perhaps. That's all I can do. But, but remember, um, you're not being celibate so that you will be attracted to, to women. You're being celibate because you love Jesus. And then let God do whatever he's going to do. Uh, it'd be great. I mean, for years, and, and, and this was an embarrassment to Christianity, uh, there were groups that, that promoted um, uh, transformation therapy, uh, pray the gay away type of thing. And, um, and it's embarrassing. It's, it's, it's abusive. Um, but you never know what God is going to do. And let him do whatever it is. He wants to do in your life. For the meantime, you just keep pleasing Jesus. He is so proud. He is so blessed. And uh, I, I tell you, you may be anonymous on this program and anonymous in life, uh, but you are not anonymous at all in heaven. Not in the least. You are a hero there. So anonymous, thank you for the question. Here's a question from Rocky. He says, and this just is a question that goes with the name. Are tattoos okay for Christians? Um, Rocky, yeah, tattoos are okay. Uh, if you want to be tattooed, it's body art. Um, um, I think there's a misunderstanding uh, in the Old Testament. It says um, God's people are not tattooed themselves, but that's in the context of, of the worship of foreign gods. And it was always a cutting of themselves. It wasn't an inking or a, or a, 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 an artist type of thing. It was just a cutting of themselves. That's what the word means. And so uh, those um, those are there are prohibitions. But for Christians today, yeah, if you want to be tattooed, and your tattoos are going to honor the Lord, go ahead and do it. I, I think tattoos are something that we ought to carefully pray about. Um, we ought to examine our motives as we should examine our motives for everything that we want and everything we spend our money on. But but I think if you want tattoos and, and the Lord's okay with it, you shouldn't feel guilty at all. Just make sure that they're not tattoos that are dishonoring uh, to the Lord. Very, very important, Rocky. I've got two sons. Grew up in the same home, same parents. One of them is blasted. I mean, he's got tattoos and piercings in his ears and everything. The other one doesn't have a tattoo, doesn't have a piercing, nothing. They're completely different. Um, being tatted kind of fits the older son. His name is Ronnie. It fits his personality. And being without tats or piercings fits the other son, Terry, his his personality. So um, you're free to do whatever it is you feel you want to do. Tattoos are not sinful um, I know there's a lot of parents out there that wish I would say they are, but they're not. And um, honestly, I kind of like them. If I wasn't old and afraid of pain, I'd probably have some. But I like them, and I especially like the color in some tattoos these days. So uh, I hope that that helps. Here is a question that came in from Ariana in our e from our email inbox. I have often heard of your brother in the past. Did he ever get saved, and where is he now? Kindly, Ariana. Ariana, thanks for asking. Uh, my brother John, he's three years older than I am. Um, we we don't have a relationship. It's his choice. Um, the last time I saw my brother was when I preached. Uh, at a church just before we left to come to Texas. He actually came, uh, stood in the back, um, uh, not a fan of me being a Christian, uh, and, um, and, and I, haven't, I haven't seen him. I've tried to be in contact with him. Um, you know, Paul and I, we get to Southern California. He lives in the Riverside area, uh, Moreno Valley area, actually, of Southern California. And he... Um, um, we make enough trips out there that I, I've tried to make contact. 
and uh, his response, and I have no reason, uh, no understanding of why, but he said, well, we haven't been together in so long, it's just better to leave things as they are, and he didn't want to save me. He knows I'm going to tell him about Jesus. Uh, I don't know if he's saved. Uh, I pray for him, uh, not every day, but almost every day, and um, um, I love him, but but he it's his choice um, based on, I think, what I do. Um, it, it's his choice not to see me. So his name is John J-O-N. So Ariana, you can pray for him. I pray for him all the time. Thank you for the question. Thank you for, for asking. Here's a question from Kelly. She said, Pastor Ron, besides money, what are other examples of stewardship principles? Oh, there's so many of them, Kelly. Uh, time. Um, time is your is your time committed to Jesus Christ. If God gives you 24 hours in a day, are you spending that time bringing him honor and glory? Now, that doesn't mean we can't chill out. We can't relax. We all need those times. It doesn't mean that we can't have fun. But if we're a good steward of our time, we remember that, that we belong to the Lord. And, and so he has the right to sort of interrupt any plan that we have. So time is one. The gifts of the Spirit that we talked about at church here uh, yesterday, we've been talking about it now for several weeks. Um, are we good stewards of those gifts? If God gives you the gift of tongues, are you using it? If God gives you the gift of giving, are you giving? If God gives you the gift of serving, are you serving? You see, those are things that that we have to bring under the stewardship of Jesus Christ. Uh, your family, Kelly. Um, this I don't know if this is a male Kelly or a female Kelly, but but if you're the the the, the husband or and father in a home, um, God has given you stewardship over your family. Are you taking the time to to sit down and read the Bible with your wife? Are you taking the time to have family devotions? Are you a good steward over your family, insofar as the example that your life sets? Are you kind and are you gentle and are you patient and all those fruits of the Spirit that matter so much um, to be a good steward over the family that God has given you is really important. So all kinds of things uh, besides money, uh, but but um, remember our whole lives are supposed to reflect the Lordship of Jesus Christ. He's in charge of all things. Now, you said besides money, but let me talk about money for just a moment. Stewardship, as it relates to money, requires us to understand that everything that we have comes from God. Thus, everything that we have belongs to God. And there's a lot of Christians who um, sort of look at their money as, okay, I'm going to give God 10% and the rest is mine. And that's to misunderstand completely. Who is the Lord over your money? A hundred percent of what you have belongs to God, and a hundred percent of it ought to be offered to God. Now, He's going to let you keep most of it, but He wants you to be willing to let go of all of it. And so we want to be good stewards, and believe me, stewardship is one of those areas, Kelly, that is going to be tested over and over and over. Are you a good steward? Um, over, uh, let's just say, Kelly, you've got a beautiful singing voice. Are you a good steward of that voice? Maybe God's given you talents in other areas of your life, and you you consider them just natural talents. Are you a good steward of that talent? And are you using it, demonstrating it for the glory of God? So there's all kinds of things um, that, that uh, fall under the stewardship umbrella. Good question. Thank you very, very much. Robert wants to know, are you old earth or young earth in your theology? Uh, I'm young earth, absolutely young earth, Robert. Uh, I believe that the earth that we live in is less than 10,000 years old. Uh, We can't pinpoint the age of the earth. But all of these conclusions really kind of get down to the one question. Do you believe the first four words of the Bible? In the beginning, God. 
But I believe this is a young earth. I don't believe in millions or billions of years old. I don't believe in in a big bang theory. I don't believe in evolution. I don't believe in any of that nonsense that, that the world tries to cram down our throats now. I believe that God created the world in six days. I believe Genesis 1 through 11 is literal. And if you believe that, then as we trace the history of the world that we live in, in our Bibles, we can come to the conclusion that our world is somewhere between six and 10,000 years old. Now, that sounds silly to people who aren't saved. It almost sounds like we're Neanderthals, you know, they don't have a brain in our body. But the question is, do we believe the Bible or do we believe in science, scientists who begin the creation process with an agenda? The agenda is to prove there is no God. They've already dismissed completely that God is real, that God exists, and so they come up with alternative theories. That's why, Robert, those theories have changed so much over the centuries. So I believe the earth is young. I think that's important. Um, Most people would tell you it's not an essential, but I do believe it is an essential for having a fruitful understanding of the Word of God, the Bible, that we hold so near and dear to our heart. Thank you, Robert. 340-9585, 340-9585, 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. 340-9585. Here is a question from Sandy. She says, there is a lot of talk about UFOs now. Does the Bible cover alien life and what do you believe? Uh, the Bible says nothing at all about alien life because, write this down, Sandy, there is none. I know all this talk. You know, um, there's all kinds of theories. I'm not going to get into conspiracy theories, but there's all kinds of theories that, you know, this whole UFO phenomenon and people believing things and spending all their time trying to to, to dig in and find out the real story about UFOs and and, and people who live on other planets. Um, You talk about faith. There's no evidence for any of that at all. Any of that at all. And I think that the the idea here and the increased emphasis on UFOs, I think that is satanic. And by that I mean I think the devil is getting the world ready for the rapture of the church. He knows the church is going to be raptured. And um, there's going to be all kinds of stories. The the aliens got them. Uh, These were the people that weren't fit to go into the age of enlightenment. And so God, the general God, took them. But, Sandy, we don't have to worry about UFOs. You know, Jesus said, in calling us friends, he said, I now call you friends because a friend tells a friend everything. And he says, I've told you everything. If aliens were an important part of the puzzle that we needed to know about, then Jesus would have told us about that. But it's absolutely amazing. People see these things. Again, I think there is a demonic element of of um, illusion involved. Um, and I think, frankly, that um, he wants our eyes on things that are not God. And so there, there isn't UFOs. There are Bible, I mean, there are unidentified flying objects. They're just not from outer space. And um, um, there's a fascination. Uh, I mean, look what's happened uh, with uh, with our entertainment industry and the fascination with things alien. So the answer is, Sandy, don't worry about it. Um, there is a lot of talk about it, but imagine the blessing. If you spent any of the time that you spend thinking about UFOs or researching UFOs or reading stories about UFOs, if you spent that time in your Bible, hope that helps. Here's a question from Hector. Probably be the last one we get today. Pastor Ron, in Daniel 3, what exactly did the three men mean when they said, even if God doesn't deliver us, was their faith weak? Uh, Daniel in, in or Hector, in Daniel chapter 3, you're looking at, at three of the most faithful men in Scripture. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, the, the Babylonian names that they were given. 
um, they were they were being trying at least trying to be forced into worshiping an image that was set up of Nebuchadnezzar, and Nebuchadnezzar was was uh, threatening them, uh, but he didn't want to kill them because they were so valuable to him. They were the best and the brightest, along with Daniel, uh, of the exiles that came from from Israel. Um, but he said, "Look, I'm gonna anybody that doesn't bow down is going to be thrown in the fire." And uh, I think this great statement of faith, uh, my God can deliver us, but even if he doesn't, we will not bow down. That, by definition, is super strong faith, Hector. So their faith was really, really strong. They weren't having any doubts or any second thoughts. What they were doing is, yeah, God is able to save us, but his will, hidden from us at this moment, his will be done. And that takes great faith. And by the way, Whenever we pray, nevertheless, thy will, not my will be done, that is a prayer that's offered in faith. That's a prayer that pleases the Lord, and it is a prayer, Hector, that, that, that God will answer according to his will, which means that we win. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, um, they are faith heroes, and their, their faith was really, really strong. By the way, for the audience, I am going to be a week from Wednesday. This this coming Wednesday, we are closing out the book of Genesis. I think we're 17 months or so in the book of Genesis. And um, um, the following Wednesday, a week from this Wednesday, we're going to begin our study in the prophecy of Daniel. So I will actually have Daniel and uh, Revelation going at the same time. Daniel on Wednesdays and Revelation on Friday nights, and uh, they are sister books that deal with the uh, the things of the very end. Um, the revelation given to John the Beloved, the disciple whom Jesus loved, and the end times prophecies given to Daniel, Daniel the Beloved who loved God with all of his heart. So I hope that helps. Hey, remember, ladies, Sweet Summer Devotions tonight at 7 o'clock here at Calvary Chapel. You can watch it at calvarysa.com. May the Lord bless you and keep you. I'll be back tomorrow, Lord willing, at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio.